Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-hosts, the Elizabeth Woodson and Adam Hawkins. Elizabeth and Adam, it's great to be seeing you again. I can't wait till we're in the same room again. Tonight, we've got an exciting topic to talk through. We're going to talk about extremism. Before we do, let me kind of intro our topic by asking you guys a personal question. Elizabeth, what do you feel like is the most fanatical you get about something that probably the rest of your friends don't really care about? What is something that you think, man, to, to Elizabeth, this is a big deal. You really love it, but everybody else is kind of take it or leave it. Um, I don't think people would not think it's a big deal, but I like my car spotless. Like vacuuming out my car is a pastime I enjoy that gives my heart joy. I just did it today. Um, I bought a $10 car wash so I could vacuum out my car. <laughs> I did not know that about you. <laughs> and if your car is not clean, the Lord's helping me to not judge you. Okay, <laughs> I need you to never look in my car. <laughs> I, I often tell people that my office is gonna be immaculate and my, my car is where the disaster happens. Mm. Uh, it's the travel. I'm sorry about that, Elizabeth. I'm sorry if you judge me now. Adam, same question. What is something that you get kind of fanatical about that maybe everybody else doesn't really get there? Yeah, probably like everything in my life except Jesus, you know? I don't know. Uh, yeah, all of it. Um, but specifically, one I will name is I am really fanatical about a British soccer team named Chelsea. And so I'm a huge soccer fan and love have loved this team for, this is crazy to think about, but over two decades now. There's a few people who agree with you on that, I think, right? There are a few people who agree with me on that, but none, none that I know personally in my life right now. So oh, I'm gonna introduce you to some Chelsea fan friends of mine. I got, I have a couple, I should say, I have a couple, but oh, for I'm the sorry, most part. Then I, I retract that. I'm not going to. No, no, I st- please do. Yeah, please do. Yeah, okay. Elizabeth is in like a, a social club of clean car people. I'm going to get you some Chelsea fans. Uh, we're going to talk tonight about extremism, which is something that maybe our culture understands what that means. Maybe they don't, but that's why we're talking about it. You are going to hear this word a lot, you know, radicalized extremism in today's uh, world on the news. And, and I want to talk about what that actually means. So here we go. Adam, in most of these episodes, when we talk about an ism, you've been so helpful at giving us some definitions. Can you maybe start us off by explaining what exactly is actual extremism? And then maybe we can talk a little bit, Elizabeth, about what is, how is extremism kind of thrown around? Adam, what is extremism? Yeah, when we talk about extremism, I think... Um the, the I think first to go to the word extreme itself, and uh, in my quick research on this, the definition of extreme uh, is really sort of the thing that's furthest from center. And so when you start talking about different extremisms, uh, there's lots of examples, but if you were to say the, maybe an easy one would be political, it would be those opinions that are on the furthest fringes, right? The uh, beliefs on the furthest fringes of the political spectrum, both left and right, you know. Uh, Same thing would be true maybe for uh, religious extremism. It would be on the fringes. And then more and more, um, especially around those, again, political uh, um, or or, um, 
excuse me, uh, religious ones, it's often also associated with uh, uh, violence or hatred or bigotry of some sort. You'll see a lot of sort of fear of the other or, or a um, disdain for other people groups uh, associated with, with extremisms of the political uh, or religious variety. That's super helpful. Elizabeth, where do we see, I, I think, I feel like I see extremism used as a term that isn't always used for what Adam's describing. I think we see it, we see it used, really what Adam talked about, um, Adam Hawkins, of just this idea of away from the center. Um, so I think when we think about the vaccination conversation in our country, some people would consider people who aren't for vac- vaccinations to be extremists. Um, you think about Christianity, even in fact, um, and just what it means to live out our faith um, in the most authentic way to the social norm that would seem extreme. Um, And so I think it's people who hold different just thoughts and beliefs in our country that aren't necessarily this us versus them. It's not necessarily hostility and violence that we see connected to those beliefs, but they're just so different than the norm that people would label them as extreme and maybe even use the word extremist. To, I, to, to talk about them. That's great. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think there's a, there's a version of modern day extremism that we see, especially I, I think on the internet, that involves your opinions are just so different, therefore you're an extremist, that don't maybe fit the, the dictionary definition of you are hostile towards those who believe differently than you. It's just that you believe very differently. Or uh, I think extremism too can just describe devout, like maybe somebody is just very devout. And therefore, because they believe in some form of orthodoxy and some form of orthopraxy that they are devoted to, people who are not a part of that would describe that as uh, fanatical or as radical or as extremist. Uh, However, we have seen uh, the dictionary definition of extremism uh, play out historically where there has been hostility because, because of ideologies and belief systems. Uh, historically, what what would be some examples of some famous versions of extremism throughout history? Adam, throw out a couple for us. I would say some some might disagree with me, but uh, politically speaking, maybe one that's less controversial because it's not near our times. But uh, parts of the French Revolution, for instance, where they started just guillotining everybody in the street, right? Who maybe um, uh, were part of the old guard, you might say. So not only was it revolutionary, right, not only was it radical in the sense that it was upending foundational beliefs, but it was, stri- it, it was extreme in that it was hostile. It was also extreme in that it was um, the consequences were, were so dire and deadly. Is that, a, is that yeah, one? That's a good that, example. I think, yeah. I think there's, there's several more obvious ones to me, but uh, Elizabeth, can you think of Then the French Revolution. Oh, man. Um, I think about, you think about Spanish conclusion. <laughs> Conquistadors, colonialization, um, yeah. and just kind of mass genocide that happened. You think about slavery. You think about Nazi Germany. Um, to me, are some of the obvious ones when it comes to historically when it comes to extremism. Yeah, I think I, most minds, I think, go right to Nazism. I think you guys have mentioned some other really good ones. For me personally, the one that comes to mind for me when this really became, when extremism became a commonplace word to me, happens around 9-11. And when, when there's this sudden kind of PR move around, are all Muslims terrorists? Or is there an extremist version of Islam? Yeah. Is there a ra- and then we started hearing words like radicalized, like this person was radicalized. And in fact, some of the things we would hear from um, 
those people who are interrogators in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, when you're talking about dealing with ISIS or um, uh, some of the other factions of what maybe you would call extremists within Islam, they would say uh, often one of the tacks they would take is retranslating and reinterpreting the Quran with these people to help them understand maybe the, the version of Islam that you're ascribing to is an extremist version. So let me deprogram you from that before we move on together. But I feel like since 9-11, which has now been since 2001, it's been almost 20 years uh, since 9-11 happened, extremism has kind of lost that fanatic, uh, radical definition to now it is something you used to describe somebody on the internet because they don't agree with you about your political candidate. Um, although there are absolutely still circumstances all the time where we see the way people think about race or the way we think about politics or the way we think about a religion that we would describe as extremists. Uh, I talked about the book Education not long ago on this. It's a memoir about a girl that believed she was raised in an extremist Mormon household that believed the end of the world was coming. And, and uh, so the practices that they had around education were very, very different. And, and that's not uh, uncommon. Or even uh, Waco is a really popular show right now on Netflix, which again is kind of a cult mentality around a man named David Koresh who, who testified to being a messiah. And there's an extremist view. We, we haven't really mentioned that word yet, but cults are part of what comes along with the idea of extremism. And that can be a cult of personality or um, it can just be uh, an actual religious cult. Where do we see uh, examples of uh, both types of extremism that we've, we've explained already, kind of this socially thrown about word extremism or actual extremism? Where, is it, where do you guys see it happening right now? Where, where do you see it described? Um, just in our current uh, state with COVID-19 um, and just how there are some really strong views on either side of people who are for government interaction and against government. And so I think one of the, the, the catalysts for extremism, if you think about it in a political or religious ideologies, is like these conspiracy theories, uh, which I know we will have an opportunity to talk about hopefully um, sometime soon, but the idea that um, someone is trying to control us and it's this secret story that's going around. And so I think that there, because this is a massive amount of information, we get information, um, whether it's good or bad information, we've kind of had this doubt that's been thrown in to um, the, the pool of not all the information we thought is true, maybe it isn't true anymore. And so we just had this pushback to think, against government involvement. And we've seen that in some really strong ways, um, particularly in the last few weeks. And so that's one that comes to mind for me is how people are responding um, to what's happening with COVID-19. That's a great example. Adam, can you think of anywhere else where we're seeing extremism thrown around right now? Yeah. And I mean, it's hard, right, too, because, um, and I don't think we've tried to use it this way as we've talked about extreme views of any sort. But you know, it can be used as a pejorative. Do you know what I'm saying? Like a lot, if somebody just disagrees with you, they may call you an extremist or something like that. And we, we sort of said, you've got to be careful with language. So uh, I'm really not trying to do that when I, when I speak about some of these things, but I, I do think there is a um, certain level of extremism as it, and we've covered it before, but I think as it relates to a new, uh, what I would call, well, I guess maybe this wouldn't make it extreme, but the new orthodoxy uh, out there as it relates to cancel culture and some things like this. In other words, our I think there is 
um, responses and reactions to individuals who maybe talk, you know, um, the, the call in how we treat them, which is to ostracize and vilify and dehumanize them. I would call those extreme um, responses to people. So I, I'm, you know, we, again, we've talked about cancel culture before, but the latest one is, I think there was a, a, a woman, a, a, maybe a food writer for the New York times who said something and it, and it evolved into a Twitter war. She called some people out and the internet has lost its mind and is trying to sort of, you know, New York times ended up putting her on leave and they're like talking about firing her and all these kind of things over some comments she made on a blog or something. So, you know, I, I, anyways, yeah, I guess I would say cancel culture is one place I see extremism playing out. Yeah. Yeah. If you, uh, watch the news every day, I feel like, uh, the terms left wing extremist, right wing extremist, the alt right, what used to be a tea party Republican, where it kind of, where people would be defined by being further towards the edges, further from the center, you would see that kind of extremism, maybe not with violence, but you would certainly see hostility between groups of people around that. Uh, one thing that Elizabeth has said before about extremism, that there's, there's a, uh, a disinterest in compromise. It, they're not looking to to find a middle to to mediate or moderate their their opinions. It's no, I am going to be over here and I will unify with those who believe what I believe. And I think, uh, like you said, Elizabeth, the internet and the amount of information we have access to really does create an avenue for that. In fact, many people have looked at Facebook and the fact that the algorithms that you use that kind of design on Facebook uh, that if you read one article, you'll get more articles about the same topic which means it kind of it ends up perpetuating a, like an echo chamber uh, and strengthening your beliefs about something. So if you're uh, anti-vaccines or pro-vaccines, whatever articles you read, those are the articles you're going to see. And any friends who share articles they think you might be interested, that's what's going to pop up or, or news programs that, that do. And it kind of, it's catered to you in a way. And that's, I, I understand why they would do that. But at the same time, it can create a fanaticism where you just think everybody, everybody is doing this or everybody's talking about this or, it, it creates an internal um, dialogue, maybe even that leads to fanaticism. But there's also, I think, within Christianity today, uh, we could say there's there's uh, far edges from a middle that we're seeing in extremism. And Elizabeth, when you look around the church at large, uh, maybe just keeping it to America, since that was where we live and where we understand the culture a little bit better, where are we seeing extremes within uh, evangelicalism or within Christianity in general? Where are we seeing extremes right now? I think you see extremes. I feel like you have a left and a right in Christianity too. And so you see extremes on one end when it comes to the charismatic um, and just a full press into the work of the Holy Spirit in some ways that will make some people on the other side of the line feel very uncomfortable um, because of, yeah, just uh, moving away from a center. So I think that's one big one that I see a pull between the work of the Holy Spirit and you're on one side of that or the other. And usually either side is calling each other extreme. Yeah, that's a great example. Adam, do you think of any other ones that come to mind for within the Christian church? Where are there extremes right now where maybe there's a group of people who are not interested in in coming to a table and talking through this because we're on such opposite ends of a spectrum? Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing it in the places that I think are a little dangerous. I'm definitely seeing it with sort of that alt-right mentality where it's been... um, and I, and I mean this in the far, far right spectrum, but there is a racism and a um, uh, uh, extreme sort of nationalism being reintroduced in, in, and again, these are fringes, right? But being reintroduced into 
some Christian circles. It's probably all, always existed, but it's being exacerbated by the times. And I, and I think, you know, I think this is one point, but I think all, I think what's confusing is typically extreme extremists have been largely relegated to the fringes. So even if you think about the Branch Davidians in Waco, you know, yes, they had a, a, a small following and the consequences of that were dire and sad, but it was still relatively small. And as we just talked about in a minute, minute ago, um, you know, a Heaven's Gate, similar thing, uh, small, you know, and again, bad consequences. But I think, I think because of, and, and extremely sad, but I think because of the internet and I think because these atomized groups are now able to find each other, I think, and then, and then because the beliefs are so interesting, they're interesting. What I mean is they draw your attention. You, you're drawn to them. It's clickbaitish almost. Um, I think the, what's happening now is that extremist views are getting so much more airplay. So here's my point. My point is to say that I, th- I think one of the dangers that out, that's out there right now, and we've probably heard this in a lot of ways, is that these small minorities uh, of opinions are actually being amplified and are becoming more important than they actually are. So I think if you were to look at our country for a long time in America, going back to the fifties, even, even while there's been some swings, the country has really represented a sort of Whiggish, maybe center right, right. Has been sort of politically where our country has been for a long time. But now if you look at what used to be called extremisms, uh, uh, our extreme views have now become more mainstream. Um, and so you have like Bernie Sanders and some others who are talking about things like socialism, which, which would have in America at least been a far left view. And twice now he's almost won the nomination for president. It's seeming more and more likely that, that we may have a, a democratic socialist running for president within the next decade. Uh, and on the right, you're seeing a drift towards reactionary, authoritarian type systems and and uh, and you know candidates, et cetera. Um, and so you're you're actually seeing these po- these side these you know uh, polar opposites, but these extreme sides finding more airplay. And I think Christians need to be worried about that too within Christianity itself. Yeah, I think what you're describing is really important aspect of this whole discussion, which is that if, if extremism or if, if opposite extremes become more powerful, more popular, or stronger, and there becomes less of a middle, there becomes less of a middle ground or less of a conversation in the middle, then we can end up with a very hostile uh, group. You know, if that group is our nation or if that group is our denomination or if that group is within one church, if you have more extreme, unwilling to talk and compromise and, and uh, diametrically opposed ideologies, that's going to be a difficult circumstance to navigate. And uh, increasingly, we are seeing, you know, the votes for president. You look at that and it's, it's right around 50% of our country. It's not like we're, we're winning by 70 or losing by 20 or whatever it might be. It's, it, man, it's, it's split down the middle and seemingly increasingly extreme. And so if you look at Christendom in America, and I think one of the issues we haven't talked about yet, but is very divisive, or there's several of them. We could talk about abortion is one that there are Christians on both sides of that issue that have extreme views. Uh, When it comes to race and what it means for racial reconciliation, there are Christians that have extreme views. In particular, when it comes to human sexuality, and this has changed pretty fast over the last 15 years, 
there are extreme views on that. And as human sexuality in a secular mindset becomes increasingly popular and uh, uh, traditional biblical views of sexuality became increasingly associated with bigotry, then that becomes an extreme point of view to eventually, you know, there are, I said, some people this week were asking me what happens when Christianity is no longer allowed to practice the way that we have historically in America because no, we no longer align with America ideologically. And maybe we're considered to be um, uh, ideologically opposed to a way that is uh, integrated the rest of culture. What are we going to do? And I think those are valid questions for maybe not a very distant future, but I certainly don't want to live in pessimism and the sky is falling. But I think this is why this conversation is interesting. Let's go to 10,000 feet for just a second and talk about where or why this happens. Like, why do humans end up in extremely different positions. And obviously we've talked about how the internet maybe creates that now, but historically there's been extremism long before there was the internet, long before there was the printing press, there was extreme views and there was hostility and there was violence in order to advance your own ideology. Elizabeth, what do you think it is in humankind that leads to extremism? When I think about, as we talk about extremism and talking about the type of extremism where people use violence or hostility to push forward their agenda, I think in that context, it's because we are people of fear and we love superiority. Um, And so the, the narrative of extremism is that someone poses a threat, it's us versus them. Um, and so I need to get rid of the other group in order to ensure that my group survives. And so survival, especially when we look at historically, is a significant thing. Um, and many times violence was used to do that um, just through war. But when you think about issues of extremism, I believe it's that I need to survive, but I also need to be better. Um, we want to be on top. We want to be number one. And anyone that gets in the way of that, we just annihilate. Um, and that just tends to be a really, really um, attractive narrative for people because we're very prideful people um, and we love ourselves a lot and we can trace pride all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And so it just is a sin that just dwells in us and makes us believe in that I need to get them before they get me, um, which is not the Christian narrative. But to me, it, sin is pride, it's fear, and it's a desire to want to be on top. That's gold. I see that in microcosm. I see that in marriages where, uh, or just close friendships where it's like this, this would go better if they would just think the way I thought or behave the way I behaved. And if I could just make them more like me, or they just saw more like me, then we would all get along better. And the same is true when it comes to groups. And when it comes to ideologies, it's this pride. It's this, like you're describing, it's a power idol. It's, I love to be affirmed as correct I love to imagine I have control and power and we love to be right. We love to be right. So if we could just be right, this would be so much better. Hey, Adam, let me ask you this as it comes to Christianity. How does extremism line up or not line up with the gospel and Christianity? Is this something we're saying we're warning people against extremism? Or is there a version of this that you would say, man, there's a version of extremism that's okay? Or or is extremism always opposed to gospel principles? Well, uh, so let's think about it a little bit theologically, because as we're talking about pride and extremism, I can't help but think that maybe the fall and uh, is an ex- is the first example of, of extremism. Here's what I mean by that. 
you have Adam and Eve who are tempted by the serpent and the serpent tells them you can be like God. And before that moment, there had the center of all humanity, of the affections of humanity, of the, of, of, um, the meaning of life, of everything, the center was a unveiled relationship with God. And the minute there is nothing more extreme or far from the center in that environment than saying, I can be God from a perfect world, a perfect creation where there is no drift from the, the anchor and core and center of being with God to saying, no, wait a minute, I can be God. And so to disobey him, that first act of disobedience and pride, as, as we just talked about, was maybe the most extreme act that's ever been committed, right? Um, uh, because again, it's furthest from center and it's violent and it's certainly violent in its outcome and consequence and that the whole world breaks as a result of, of Adam and Eve uh, sinning. And so um, there is a sense in which you cannot disconnect extremism from the core story of the Bible uh, because you have this one extreme act that upends the world and uh, removes God uh, from the center of people's hearts. And then our state becomes, uh, the state of our hearts becomes one of sin without reconciliation of God. And it takes another extreme act by, uh, by the perfect human uh, to, to then upend that default state of the human heart, the center of the human heart, which is pride and selfishness and self-glorification. And this perfect human, Jesus, comes and through in a, another extreme act, he writes that whole story. And his extreme act is um, um, to be selfless and to sacrifice and to give uh, his life uh, for his enemies um, and and it purchases us. It frees us from the bondage of a life of of um, self aggrandizement. So I know I'm preaching a little bit, but I, that's how I see the story of extremism as as connected to the Bible. And so what I would say on a broader scale, maybe less less theologically academic or something like that, is to say that I think if we're talking about extremism in Christianity as being far from the center, if we define the center as orthodoxy, then extremism should always be warned against, should always be warned against. If we're defining extremism as a tenacity or an urgency, or even a, we've used synonyms like radical. Um, Radical means to the core. Radical means uh, um, um, reshaping the foundations, right? And in that sense, Christianity is an extreme religion in the sense that it will up in the core. It will uh, it will go right to the heart of who you are and change your foundations um, if you are if you become a Christian. Uh, and so, in that sense, Christianity is not something to be warned about. Or I mean, excuse me, extremism is not something to be warned about. Uh, it's actually be de- to be desired. Um, and so, it, I, I guess what I'm saying is it sort of depends on the definition we're using. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Well, I, I hear what does. you're saying. I think what you're saying is, it, in a Romans 12 sense, we should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And therefore, there will be an extreme difference between us and what the world believes. And, like Christ said, we should be prepared to be hated for that. That's right. It, it, it should not surprise anybody to be hated as extreme for following Christ, because Christ was hated. 
And at the yep. same time, if our definition of extremism includes hostility and violence in order to get people to believe what we believe, then it's diametrically opposed to what we believe about the gospel. So yep. What we're taught by Christ and what we see in Christ is not uh, threaten people or intimidate them until they believe what you believe, or it's not uh, hurt people until they convert. And unfortunately, we have seen that in the history of Christianity, both I think of the Native American populations here in America that were forced to uh, convert under threats of violence, or you think of the Crusades where there was violence perpetrated in the name of Christ, uh, and, and anything of that version of extremism, then yeah, we need to be opposed to. Elizabeth, you have more thoughts on that? I think when, because Adam Hawkins talked about some of the, uh, and you did too, Adam Griffin, about the extremist, extremist views that are present in the church that are not godly. And so I think that there is the, there are these ideologies that are at the fringes and this us versus them. And so many times when it comes to the beliefs that we hold within Christianity, um, we hold an us versus them view of people who disagree with us. And so I think that that is the place in which um, the dangerous type of extremism starts and it's birthed um, in these separate groups that we're opposed to and that we have dehumanized and that we are okay with mistreating or we're okay with them being mistreated um, because they don't agree with us. And so I think about um, in Christianity that we recognize that we're called to love our enemies. So even in a space of disagreement, we're called to love and have concern that we want the well-being, we want the other to thrive. The other is not a threat to me. The other is someone that I can love and invite into the kingdom where they're welcome, um, that there is very much a communal aspect to this kingdom. People, this uh, new people that we are being called to walk in that identity as Christians. And so to me, especially in what we're seeing now, a lot of the narratives that are trying to explain what's going on um, in our current pandemic situation, um, to me, are opportunities for this us versus them mentality to, to grow within our church communities, but we also have an opportunity to stamp it out and to be willing to talk, come to the table, to converse about the different issues, to converse about different things that are going on and people, the experiences that are happening um, in terms of the way that situations are being handled. The story is not simple and that we as a church would love all um, and we know that love is not this really simple word that doesn't mean sacrifice, doesn't mean we hold to orthodox views, but it is for us to quelch this us versus them mentality. And every time we feel that, um, that that is an open door for the enemy to take us somewhere we don't need to go. It is an us and an opportunity for those who are on the outside to come in. Um, and even if they don't, they choose not to, we're still called to love. That's a that's a great way to land the plane and end it. And I do think, you know, maybe one day in the future we'll get to do an episode about, you know, we did one recently about suffering well. We could do one on disagreeing well. And if Christians uh, could be leaders in how to disagree with someone and still love them, man, that would go so far in our culture today. Because like you're describing, whether it's inside the church or whether it's with those who do not love Jesus Christ, the way if we start to get into an us and them mentality that leads to hostility, we are not living out what we are called to be in this world, which is the light in a dark place. And uh, unfortunately, it seems uh, to many of us increasingly dark in some ways, uh, but all the more so that we need Jesus Christ. And man, Christ saved me for when I uh, disagree with somebody so uh, vehemently that it leads to harshness, whether it's spoken or unspoken in my heart. 
I know that I need forgiveness there and I need to grow in the area of disagreeing well. And at the same time, I want to be as devout a Christian as any man you've ever met. I want to be devoted to integrity, devoted to godliness, devoted to orthodoxy and uncompromising in my beliefs as far as they are true, right, and good and loving towards others and loving my God above all. Well, I hope this episode about extremism has been helpful to y'all. It's certainly been helpful for me. It's always good to hear your thoughts, Elizabeth and Adam. It's really helpful. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode is recorded and mixed by Chris Terra and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, would you please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast? And also, you can follow us on Instagram or support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culturematters. Thanks and God bless.